Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors, a show where two guys who happen to be pastors come together and, well, pretty much now we just talk about things that annoy us or things that we wish things were. I mean, the only thing we're missing is a porch and rocking chairs, and I think we'd be to that point almost. But I am Pastor Matt Heath of Strong Community Chapel. Join with me as always is my trusty co-host and fellow fellow griper, Pastor Glenn Davis of Willow Branch United Methodist yeah, Church. Man, don't you start that with me. I got a bone to pick with you. Oh, this... it's you know we're gonna celebrate a, kind of our heritage. I think is what we're doing tonight. Mm-hmm. And some of our favorites and you know the heroes that championed us along. So we won't be griping as much. No. Um, but um, you know. I just, I've got, I've got to say, and I'm not going to tell you that whether this is a work or a shoot, you all there will have to figure it out. Um, I, you know, and this hurts my heart. I feel like I need to say, um, a work or a shoot means whether this is fake or not. I'm using wrestling terms mm-hmm. there. You know, we'll have to do our favorite wrestler episode at some point. Oh yeah. That's, that's going to have to happen. Tie that, tie that back to faith. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, I, I was watching, um, I was watching an old wrestling match, and I'll get into it a little bit here, but uh, Lauren made a funny joke to me, and, well, let me rephrase that. Lauren said something really funny, and I made a joke about it, (laughs) and got myself in trouble, and uh, I tried to call you, and I never heard the first thing back from you, and I was going to share in that moment, and, um, yeah, so we'll just do it here. Um major major wrestling fan here fans i think we could safely say uh back when it was cool like you guys may be saying only dorks watch wrestling not back no, in the day no, it wasn't not back then men who smoked cigars and were leaders of men used to watch wrestling That's, oh, that yeah. and elderly grandmothers who would beat you with their purse <laughs> hey, with the chair! Hey, with the chair! kill that little pipsqueak <laughs> My grandmother had a nickname for Bobby Heenan. I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Look him up, folks. Amazing. Uh, so I was watching the SummerSlam 1991. Oh, man. That's... Which you may know is the Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect five-star intercontinental title match. Uh, Bret Hart was, is, and will always be my favorite wrestler. And uh, the first match on that pay-per-view was the Warlord and Power and Glory taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Carrie Von Eric, and I knew I'd blank. I can't remember the third guy. I'd have to. I'll have to. Look, I'd have to look it up. But they were three guys. Yeah. The important part of this story is Carrie Von Eric. Now, there have been documentaries done. I don't want to beat this horse to death. But Carrie Von Erich was a member of the Von Erich family who had one of the most successful wrestling territories in Texas of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie was the NWA champion, which was a precursor to the WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, bro- <clears throat> his oldest brother was even better. And unfortunately, all the brothers except one passed away very early. It was tragic. And uh, Kerry was no different, unfortunately. We lost him in 92, 93 kind of time frame. Yeah. <clears throat> but he was wrestling at SummerSlam, and I love me some Kerry Von Erich. 
He only had one foot, man, and he you know, he would have never known. No, I mean the guy just carried himself. I mean, you'd see him walking. I mean, you didn't know. I mean, no, they were the people in the locker room didn't even. Yeah, know. I mean, unless he unless he took his boot off in front mm-hmm. of you, you would have never known. So anyway, this is where the story gets funny. Lauren knows this about Carrie Von Eric. She watched that Dark Side of the Ring with me. She's seen I've got some Texas Tornado stuff. I've got an action figure or two, you know. Um, not in packages. I played with my toys. Mm-hmm. All right. That thing's been beat to death. So this was in 91, the pay-per-view I'm watching. I'm like, man, Carrie moves across the ring so well. It's a shame we lost him so early. And Lauren says, oh, was this before all that? <laughs> And I said, no, darling, seven and a half years after. I think he looks pretty good for dead, don't you? <laughs> she did not. She absolutely did. You're kidding me. <laughs> so for those of you out there who who were fans of our what our wives have to look forward to, just know I'm looking forward to a woman who may very well be going senile on me. Either oh. that or she was just distracted. Yeah. But... That. Was that before? That's uh, kind of like the old Bill Ingvall joke. You lost my luggage. Why, has your plane landed yet? No, yeah. I'm having an out-of-body experience. I'm just checking on it. <laughs> like, so, yeah, real life. Oh, Lauren, um, in an ode to the great Carrie Von Eric, mm. Lauren uh, asked me for real if that was before, <laughs> before or after, after his that. untimely death. <laughs> My word, <coughs> Lauren Elizabeth. That, <laughs> so. that 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 hurts me a little bit, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, well, uh, it's always great to see a match with the Von Eric in it. Mm-hmm. They were they were great, great wrestlers. They they were kind of before my. I remember they they, they were a little bit ahead of my time. They, the older brothers, yeah, the older ones were. You remember the young, the kind of the younger ones. And like I say, he died, Carrie died, like we said, 93, I think. 93, 94, I think. Um, so, I mean, I was all but maybe one so or he two. had a run as the Intercontinental Champion mm-hmm. in WWE, and this was before that. So. I mean, you always, I mean, growing up, I always heard about it. You always hear, like, you know, you'd see these up-and-comers coming around. You'd see, like, Stone Cold. You'd see The Rock. Oh, well, they're just, they're not, they're not the Von Erics. They're not... Well, no, they're not gonna be. You're not gonna have a dynasty like that any, you know, anytime soon. They've tried. I'll I'll tell I'll tell you what to give you an example. If if you're out there and this is a little before your time, and this is no joke, this is Jim Cornette certified. Carrie, David, all the Von Ericks would wrestle the Freebirds at Texas Stadium, the Cotton Bowl. They would sell that son of a gun out. You would say, oh my gosh, it's new kids on the block. And girls in Texas would say, who gives a crap? The Von Ericks are over there. (laughs) (laughs) And the Freebirds, including Michael Hayes, who still works at WWE, were lucky to walk outside without getting shot at. Because they were the foils to Mm -hmm. the Von Ericks. So, um, yeah, it's like... When you look at the ticket sales, they were selling out Texas Stadium, the Cotton Bowl. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, and especially for an event that, you know, ha- has always kind of carried... I don't care if you're a fan of wrestling or not. You're, I mean, if you're fans like us, you know, you've always heard the jokes. You know, people would say, why do you watch that? Because it's awesome. 
Yeah, Kerry Von Erich's finish was the tornado punch where he would spin and punch you. And there were times I would watch that as a kid and go, you know, I think I, I think he actually hit him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My dad kind of laid it out for me. He's like, well, this is a performance, you mm-hmm. know, and all this. and uh, But he's like, but have fun with it. Get lost in yeah, it. Just you know, it. Yeah, just Because every now and again, you'd see through it. and But uh, the best of them, the best of them, the, the Brock Lesnar's of today. Brock Lesnar make you wonder mm-hmm. sometimes today. Is he shooting or is he really going after it I here? Mean, like, <laughs> uh, I guess those are the same thing, shooting, well. going after it. But the Hitman, who was my favorite, like I said, they were you couldn't tell sometimes. They're, they're like, loose. he would get into it with Owen or Davy Boy, you know, his his family, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. he had worked with, and they, they'd make you wonder. They, they I mean, I there was... I think you and I watched it. It was a documentary about about Bret Hart, about his practice, you know, how they would practice. And I mean, it just looked like they drilled it so hard to where it probably did. It, I mean, it was, it was seamless. I mean. They just, they knew each other. And yeah. I actually watched this afternoon, SummerSlam 92. You know, I'm on a little SummerSlam kick. When uh, Brett lost the Intercontinental title to Davy Boy, and the famous story Jim Ross, Bruce Prichard, and Jim Cornette have all told was that, and I don't know that Jim Jim wasn't there at that time. He was in Smoky Mountain, but I know Jim Ross, Bruce Prichard have talked about it. Davy Boy blanked. They started the match. They locked up, and Davy said, "We're screwed. I can't remember the match." Mm-hmm. He had no oh, idea what they were. Really? He couldn't remember the finish. Oh, nothing. Man. And Lauren's like, "Is Brett talking crap to him?" Like, during the match, I'm like, no, he's telling him what to do. Because Brett has told the story, too, where he's like, he had to make up the whole match on the spot. And then he's like, even at the end, he's like, do I remember the finish? Because there's a point in that match where Davey Boy goes to press him and throw him down. You know, like a military press over his Mm -hmm. head and throw him down. And he messes it up, and Brett hits the ropes. And he legitimately looked like, kind of racked himself a little bit. And... It, you're just what and Lauren's like they know what they're. That's how good he was. Yeah. She's like, they know what they're doing. You're 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 playing me like, and then I played her some of the interviews, and she's like, wow, that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Vince and Bobby the Brain Heenan were calling that event, and they were like, this is a tremendous match. Can you believe this? Like even Vince didn't even know. He didn't know what was going. <laughs> so he gave the finish, but he had no idea. Yeah. What oh, was going yeah. on? Yeah. But that's the other thing we forget about wrestling because Lauren, Lauren and I were talking about it after. She's like, well, these matches today are so choreographed and if guys forget, they panic or they, yeah. they blank or they freeze or they mess stuff up. Like, that's what I love about old school wrestling. And I caught the tail end of the territories where you would walk through the curtain and, you know, Cowboy Bill Watts or Vern Gagne or whoever would look at you and go, he goes over, figure it out. <laughs> that was your job yeah, as a yeah, wrestler. I mean, figure it out. Well, he wins or she wins, figure it out. I mean, and, and that's, but that's the reason why today, why we still, why you hear about WWE, why we still even remember WCW even a little bit. Because the guys that came, and it kind of ties, I mean, it ties in great. Because. Where we were at, I mean, even even when I was a kid growing up, and I, you know, you'd watch all these guys come out, and I mean, yeah, you knew that 
they had kind of figured out how it was going to work. But it was <coughs> so, it was so good, and it was so seamless uh, most of the time. Um, you know, you didn't really question it. I mean, again, you didn't really, and it eventually got to a point where, yeah, you were selling out. Well, just like with on Eric's, I mean, selling out the Cotton Bowl was no small thing. I mean. No, when he won the NWA title from Ric Flair, like, that that was legitimately, like, 50,000 people. Like, it was crazy. I mean, it, it's, but again, it's stuff like that. Those guys laid the groundwork for where, where we're at now. Have you watched, you, you watch a little bit more than Modern Rest. I, I don't. I wa- I've watched a little bit recently because uh, the Hardy Boys are back together at AEW and Lauren has a slight lady crush on Matt and Jeff Hardy. Always has. So, uh, I'll give her that. I watched a little bit of it. Uh, there's parts of it I enjoy, but... It, it's not the goal. When I know, when there's no question in my mind that something's not going to go wrong here, because even now, like I said, in WWE, I I don't know if, they, if John asked him to do it or if Brock was given a receipt or what, but there was a WrestleMania match... Maybe even on Raw. I'm trying to remember. It was, a, It was. I'll never forget the moment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Brock went down full force with an elbow on ground and pound. I mean, he hit him with everything he had. And John's forehead just split. And I was like, he really hit him. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you sit there and wonder. You're like, are, are this, is this going off the rails? <laughs> like, like, there's always that little bit of threat. Like, something could go awry. And... There's just so much of modern. I don't. You don't see it. Like, you know, I've I've said I've told people who want to be on, you know, the Price is Right. Let's mm-hmm. make a deal. I'm like, don't be so nervous. Don't let yourself get carried away because they're looking for someone who's going to look good on TV. And there's just so much, so many of them that just don't don't look good on it. And um, I I bet you were wondering where I was going with that, and I'm, I'm about to I'm, I'm about curious. to bring it around the bend and introduce our topic. But one more, for my age group, there were three big wrestling moments: the mid '90s coming up, the Montreal Screw Job, yeah, where I stopped watching WWF for a long time. Real, I, mean, I did. I legitimately stopped watching it. Until uh, 99, I fell in love with a fellow named Triple H, who retired. <laughs> loved it. Loved mm-hmm. everything he did. Uh, Austin 316, the rise of, mm-hmm. of Stone Cold Steve mm-hmm. Austin. And I know you're saying, where's The Rock? Well, The Rock kind of bloomed out of the Stone Cold thing. Yeah, so it, there was, yeah. There was, a, there was a good year, year and a half, though. I didn't watch it at all. Really? Until... Somebody said, you got to see this Stone Cold guy. He's crazy. And then I started watching. I'm like, yeah, he's legitimately insane. (laughs) Driving Samboni through, running over light fixtures. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third one is the WCW Bash at the Beach 1996. And I saw a meme about that this week that absolutely cracked me up. It spoke to my soul. It said... uh, when a father consoles his young daughter on her first broken heart. And then it's like a conversation. It says, Dad, I just don't know if I'll be able to trust anyone ever again. He says, I know, darling. I know how you feel. Says, how could you understand how I feel? You have no idea how I feel. He's like, you can be sad, but you watch your mouth. I saw the 1996 Bash at the Beach, and I have never forgiven Hulk Hogan. You will respect <laughs> me. 
<laughs> oh. If you've never, it's on the Peacock app. Okay. Go back and watch WCW 1996 Bash at the Beach, the last match. You don't have to watch the rest of that nightmare. <laughs> but Hulk Hogan turned on WCW and joined Scott Hall, God rest his soul, and Kevin Nash in the NWO who turned on wrestling. Yeah. very unexpectedly because yeah. up to that point it was still Hulkamania and the, the was, doing oh, yeah. the ear and the, the flexing the, yeah. and he came out and betrayed WCW and it changed a lot of lives and doggone I, it you will respect me <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's gonna be me with my kids man I just hey you watch your back you remember the Montreal Screwjob man you watch your back <laughs> It's like for me, it, it, the one that always sticks out, and I mean, I had forgotten about it until you brought it up. It was the uh, the nineteen ninety eight Hell in the Cell match between Undertaker and Mick Foley, possibly one of the most graphic wrestling matches. That you I've you seen. can't see through that one. You you cannot because it, it, they really it got hurt. Real. <laughs> it, I mean, Mick was hurt. Well, Undertaker didn't come out of it completely unscathed. No, I mean, it, it was one that, that legitimately, like, I remember watching it, and I'm like, me and my cousins were watching it, and it's like, oh, he, oh, yeah, he, he fell through the, you know, that's, that's, you see how it fell in like that, the floor did? That's okay. No, that's, no. he got up, and he was hurt. He was, oh, my gosh. I oh, mean, pe- people who haven't seen that documentary, Mick had never been to the top of the cage until moments before Taker yeah. threw him off. <laughs> and he's like, I didn't know it was this high. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then when he fell through, people don't know, that was not supposed no, to happen. It... That was completely by accident. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to get caught in the mesh, and the Undertaker pinned him, and then he's still trying to get out. Like, they have to come cut him out, and then he takes out mm-hmm. a bunch of referees. No, he went straight through it and it... hit the ring. Oh. Which, there's not as much give in that thing as you think there no. is. I mean, it, it, and then a chair followed him down and hit him in the face. Yeah. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, the chair couldn't have picked up. It fell from the ceiling. That's... If you don't know how physics works, that chair's <laughs> falling just as hard as Mick was, and it hit him in the mouth. God, I mean, that not was... a gimmick chair, no, not on it purpose. Was, it was a real, I mean... And I mean, I'm sitting there and like, my grandmother, God love her, she comes through and she kind of encouraged us in watching, oh, you know, wrestling, that's fine, that's what boys do. It was wrestling, that's my mom's side of the family, it's, and their family is wrestling and NASCAR. That's just what you did. My great-grandfather, Gresty Soul, was a huge Jeff Gordon fan. We mercilessly made fun of him for it because... As we all know, Jeff Gordon is a uh, Nancy boy. Yeah, we'll call it that. He, I think your problem is he enunciates. He he does. Is Jeff Foxworthy once yeah. noted? I mean, he speaks proper English, not like Ward Burton. Well, you've won the Indy Five Hundred. Ward, how's things going? Well, we wake up one with about our engine right about coming down. You know, we we run pretty good. I ran the tires. They were tires were real good. I want to thank Goodyear and whatever. I'm not joking. No, yeah, that that used to be. Look up Ward Burton mm-hmm. post race speech. 
there was, We're giving people a lot of homework this there, week, but I'm bit. telling you, you will enjoy yourself. It'll be uh, a good week. It, 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 it Ward was, Burton, W-A-R-D-B-U-R-T-O-N. He won a few races, and it was always enjoyable when he did. You see, <laughs> so. I mean, and not to detract, but I mean, before they, they started harping on him when like brands like Copenhagen, Skull, the chewing tobacco companies, when they would sponsor these guys, it was very common to see the race would be over and they'd pitch the guy a can, he'd put a chew in, and he'd, he'd do an interview with it. And I mean, I'm like, that's the America I remember, or that I love. Well, and Dale Jr. had Budweiser. And yeah. They had, they had Ricky, uh, about said Ricky Martin, that's not right. Not Ricky Rudd. Maybe it was Wallace, the guy who drove the two Miller Genuine Draft. Oh, yeah, yeah, um. Of course, uh, Mark Martin drove Viagra car for a while, which yeah. I found just as offensive that as was, Winston. Yeah, but that, you know. Yeah, for 60 years or whatever, that was known as the Winston Cup after mm-hmm. Winston brand cigarettes. So, But they decided that that was a little too much for America to handle, was to have NASCAR. Well, and they were working on their image. and all I mean, it worked for a while. It, it, it did. I mean, and I, like I say, I still remember... Because they changed the they changed the Winston Cup until the two. It was nineties. Was it like late nineties? Mid to late nineties. Yeah. Yes, it hasn't really been that long. No, I mean it was Winston a lot longer than it's been anything else. Yeah, I mean I, I mean, but I always grew up watching like, you know, I'd see my granddad wearing like Winston Cup hats and shirts and stuff on it. It's like, what's Winston? And my grandfather smoked, and he said. Ah, it's Winston. They won't get a good brand like uh, he smoked uh, Carlton's, which is a high dollar cigarette for those of you who don't know. Um, you know, Marlboros were probably four fifty a pack. Carlton's were uh, six seventy five a pack. So he was a little bit higher class than some folks. Yeah, and before I get to the point of all this, yeah, sorry, um, I, I no, it's okay. Yeah. No, it 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 feeds into it. You know, I was. To your point, we talk about this from time to time off the air, and we'll go ahead and bring it to the air yeah. on this. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, one of those Summer Slams, Jimmy Hart is doing an interview, and then Slick does an interview, who is an old wrestling manager, mm-hmm. and Sick, Slick straight up has a cigar, and Jimmy Hart, with his megaphone, is just running his mouth. And I just looked over at Lorne, and this is your line. This is Matt Heath's line, so I'm giving credit. I said, Lorne, this was when men were men. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about it a lot, and I mean, and that's the reason, and again, back, back to the, the Hell in the Cell match. Those guys, they were, I would, I don't, I don't question their grit one bit. Mick Foley's grit, he's always kind of been one of those. I didn't want to admit that he was one of my favorites because, you know, he did that whole weird, um, or he was, was it not Joe Cool. Dude Love. Dude Love, that's it. Cactus Shack, Three Faces of Mick. I mean, three Faces of Foley. Yeah, I mean, he, he was going through like this mental displacement thing, whatever. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, the the kids in school that like wrestling is like, you know, we talked about the Mick Foley match and everything because it was talked about for a long time. It's like, man, when are they going to do that again? And it's like, uh, well, they probably won't because the majority of that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> no, the the only other person I think who's taken the full off the top drop was Shane McMahon. 
Yeah. And I, they hit it really well. But I think he hit a pad on the table. But regardless, that's a 16 to 20 foot drop. That doesn't, still doesn't feel good. No. I mean, that's... But I mean, you've got these guys... I mean, you have all these guys, whether it's in wrestling, whether it's in NASCAR. Um, I mean, you had guys that legitimately... They just went out and they did their job. They weren't entertainers. They weren't, you know... They just literally, they knew they had something to do, whether it was win the race or, you know, put on a good show for, you know, the, for the match, put on a good match. They just knew what they did. Nowadays, it's all about, you know, the points and all this stuff and image and everything. I'm like, let that guy, I know, I can tell you right now, if I watch a race ring, I can see the guy getting out. It's like, give that man a can of Copenhagen or a, a beer because he is jonesing hard after that deal. I mean. And the point that yeah. I was heading for with all of that as we move into the more uh, main feature, if you will, was um, tonight we're going to talk about our heroes within the faith, the people who kind of shaped us. And I wanted to go through some of that. Uh, the first part of it planned, but none of it planned after that. Get what I'm doing there. Mm-hmm. And uh, to ta- to share with you that it's not all about religion for a pastor who's called. You know, I did a joke this morning, and I'm not going to retell the joke here. You can find that on Facebook, Willow Branch UMC. Uh, but the point of the joke was that seminary is kind of a cross-section of America. It's all the people who either think religion would be really easy to do or think that uh, they are called to be ministers. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting concept to see where all these people come from. I grew up in a household where I, I'm fairly confident until my cousin Andrea graduated from Indiana Wesleyan no one in our family had ever graduated from from college. Really? Very few of them had really graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And there weren't a ton of religious folks in the group. And growing up, my influences were Gary Von Erich, Brett the Hitman Hart, John Elway, Terrell Davis, uh, Barry Larkin, like, I mean, Reggie Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a lesser degree, Ron Artest. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd, pastors don't just sit around growing up and watch Billy Graham, though he is really good to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't watch uh, Joel Olstein and all these other guys on uh, the I weekends. Uh, hey, don't pick on Joel. He does a good job. Yeah. Uh, or do. I yeah. don't care. I don't have a lot. I don't have a force in that race. <laughs> I do know a couple pastors who've come out of that church who are very good. Well, so I mean, it ain't all bad. No, it's it's not. I mean, but um, we're gonna talk tonight about some of the people who've influenced us, and I'll let I'm gonna let Matt go first because I've been talking quite a bit here. Yeah. But um, just know that you could go to church and be a fan of. You know, Tim Allen's comedy, Richard Pryor's Mm -hmm. comedy, Eddie Murphy, um, some of the more modern day ones. If you're into John Mulaney, if you're into Chris Porter, if you're into Jim Gaffigan, whoever, Mm -hmm. that doesn't, those are the influences that we had. 
Um, one of the moments that really changed my life was uh, one of the most successful pastors in Western Ohio United Methodism told us in a seminary class that he models his his style around Richard Pryor. He's like, you know why? 100,000 people pay tickets to see Richard yeah. Pryor. Mm-hmm. So, That's yeah, I'm going to adopt a little bit of that style. Yeah. And he asked, well, who's who's the f- most... Uh, who's the most professional, greatest person you've seen in person do their act? And at that time, it was a draw between Ron White and Gabriel Iglesias. Mm -hmm. Incredible performers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you can learn a lot about timing. You can learn a lot about pace. You can learn about making your point by watching people who get paid a lot of money to do those things. Mm -hmm. So... The influences we give you might surprise you a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and I just, you know, the point of this podcast when we started was to kind of open up the conversation that we're just a couple dudes yeah. who love Jesus and are called to do this particular act, but we're fans of comedy. We're fans of drama. We're fans of, you know, good old-fashioned all-American, you know, melodrama, action. So... Matt, I'll let you kick the ball off here. As well, you can run the first series. I've yeah. kind of kicked the ball off. And <laughs> I think I got it out to around the forty-five. We got okay. good field position. All right, all right. So. We'll, we'll keep her going here. See if we can get some steam going. No, I mean, some of the influences I had. I mean, um, some of the influences I had were were very much. I grew like I said. I I grew up in a kind of the same thing as Glenn. I mean. I grew up in a family that we were we knew God, we knew who God was. Um, my grandmother is one of those I love her to death, I do. And she is very much one of those sweet old church ladies that you see on Sunday mornings. Um, she is without a doubt, pro- I mean like I've said on this show before, she is the, one of the reasons why I, you know, she has actively supported me and, you know, you ought to do ministry. You ought to go into ministry. Well, all right, Granny. Um, but <clears throat> one of the things, like growing up, I mean, I don't know if you, did you have very many restrictions like on what you could watch or anything like that? All right. The only thing I can remember my parents really being against, because I watched The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. The Simpsons was about as racy as it got until Family Guy came along. Oh. Well, South Park. <laughs> South, South Park, Park yeah, South Park. Um, I was allowed to watch South Park. I was allowed to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like they didn't know, because my dad would watch wrestling with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the only thing my parents ever drew the line on, and I respect it to this day, was Marilyn Manson. My brother okay, played yeah. Marilyn Manson CD in the car. My dad said, who's this? He said, Marilyn Manson. He said, oh, okay. And he listened through the first song, and it was something to the effect of, we're going to slit God's throat or something. And my dad pushed the button. CD came out. Threw it out the window. <laughs> my brother said, I paid for that. He's like, I'll give you 10 bucks tomorrow. You're going to sit back there and shut up. <laughs> so, that's the only thing I can yeah. remember. They didn't really... Like, my parents were raised in culture, and I don't know if they did this on purpose, but they didn't see any problem with us coming up in culture. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and that was kind of the, so. Everybody automatically assumes that you're raised on a farm, 
you know, you don't watch all the stuff that everybody else, you don't embrace all the stuff, you don't know the stuff, you know, and I mean, growing up, I mean, we always, like, my dad was a big, big fan, to this day, a big fan of um, Andy Griffith, I got to start soft. I got to give a nice little, little, little bump there. Um, Andy Griffith was a show. If you, uh, we've all know what it is. You know, we all know the opening scene. That's a. I bet you worried about that all night. That wasn't bad. I mean, I like it. But I mean, growing up, I mean, Andy Griffith was a show that it was a black and white show until you get to the later ones, which I hate, but. Um, you know, it, if you've been living under a rock, I'll give you a quick synopsis. It's about a man who is a widower, who is the, uh, sheriff in the town of Mayberry, has his, it goes back and forth. Sometimes they say it's his cousin, sometimes it's say just a best friend, whatever. Um, uh, Barney, uh, played by the, the great Don Knotts. Had his aunt B, his great aunt B, come in to be the housekeeper and kind of help keep the, basically be the, you know the lady around the house. And then he had a, a son, Opie, who lived in town, was going to school and all this. <clears throat> but I mean, the way that there was an episode, it always sticks out. There's two of them that sticks out in my mind every single time. There were several of them, but um, the one that really hits me is there's an episode where. Opie has this uh, slingshot, and he's going around, he's practicing shooting trick shots and all this stuff, and Opie shoots and kills a bird. And uh, the bird had actually three chicks in the nest, and you see Opie kind of grow up in like ten minutes, because... Um, because, you know, he, he took a life and, you know, his dad made him own up to it and made him fess up to it and, and take care of it. And, and, uh, you know, you, you just see the, you know, he, he owns up to it. He has to, I mean, it's just part of it. And I mean, I, growing up, I was like, you know, okay, that's. As a kid, you understand, like, okay, yeah, he has to own up to his response to his mistake. But you know, as you get older and you go back and you watch that and you see it from, you know, Andy's point of view, and you see, you know, it's it can be kind of hard to make that happen, and you know, it causes him to be an upstanding person, to be the person that needs to be, um, you know, to have responsibility and and. Uh, <clears throat> You know, it just, it really, it just really kind of speaks some volumes saying that, you know, um, it, ba- I don't want to put this, it basically, it just kind of shows you like, what does it mean to be a decent human being? I understand, you know, people always say, well, the shows back then, they were totally unrealistic. You know, they wanted to show an American, you know, way of American life that, you know, it was only in good neighborhoods, or it was in this, and it was in that. As far as I can remember, being a decent human being does not require you to be, um, 
in a good neighborhood. It doesn't require you to be in in wherever, you know. And so, <clears throat> but the, the other episode that I was going to mention is the whole the thing was that there was a reporter that came to town and all these things were said about Andy being, you know, a lackluster sheriff, not doing his job and all this stuff. And there's a great speech that Don that Don Knotts Barney uh, Fife gives, and uh, I almost said Barney Gumble, um, and he says uh, he talks about all the things that Andy does is a good thing, and he said the line there said, "You have a whole lot better luck if you go not so much by the book, but by the heart." And that's the way that I've always I've tried to kind of look at at life going forward. I mean. And as I got into ministry, not everything is as cut and dry as we want to make it out to be. You know, there's always the age-old question, like, well, why do good things happen to bad people, and why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it's kind of a, it's one of those things, it's an, it's an uncertainty thing, you know? And you just kind of have to trust your heart a little bit on it, because at the end of it, God's going to kind of take care of it, and... Um, just allow you to, to be able to, to function and to blossom even. Um, <clears throat> sorry, my wife's texting me. Um, That's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for we record these on my MacBook, and you know the fun thing about my Mac about Mac Apple products is it is I can literally get a text message on my phone, but it'll also pop up if I'm working or have my MacBook open. It'll pop up on there too. So, uh, you know, a little soft flex there. You know, I'm an Apple guy. Um, but, I mean, Andy Griffith was probably, and then, of course, you get later on, when you're stay-at-home sick or during the summer, you watch Matlock. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit <laughs> different from the Andy Griffith show, but, I mean, it, it just shows how, like, you know, how do you handle certain situations? How do you, you know, give benefit of the doubt and stuff like that? I mean... Andy Griffith is a guy, now granted, as you get older, and people love to do this, and I'm going to say, preface this for anything, any of the guy, people that we mentioned tonight. People love to bring up negative aspects about somebody because, well, I don't know why. They just do. Because they're getting attention that you're not get that they're not getting. Um, somebody brought up a point that said... Uh, <clears throat> You know, he did a commercial for uh, the Obama campaign when he was running in 08. And I said, and? Well, he did it as a as Andy Taylor, you know, the, from the show. Okay. That's, that's okay. Like, you're not upset. I was like, why should I be? It's him. It doesn't really affect me all that much. And the simple fact is, this guy created something that we still talk about. You hear the first four notes of that of the opening song, you immediately know what show we're talking about. You remember those episodes, The Loaded Goat. You remember all these things. And I said, to be honest, the guy was just kind of playing to his strengths and drawing on something that the older generation would remember, you know? Um, <clears throat> and... You know, and to that point, I mean, not all of the people that I, um, 
that I would, I guess I would get nostalgic over and and draw on as as inspiration going forward. But I mean, there's there's just so many of them. You and I grew up in the '90s. You were you got a little bit earlier start than I did, but for the most part, you and I grew up with in the '90s. I remember the whole thing. You remember the whole thing. I was born in '92, so I got the middle end into the '90s. I was going to um, say you're as you're as old as the Jim Blossoms. No. No, yeah, but it, it just makes me feel old, <laughs> really old. <laughs> I they're mean, still, they're, still playing. they're still playing. I know they're still, but ACDC is still playing. What they're at first Not the at? Original. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's you true. Back right up on well, that. Uh, true. I was gonna say Queen's still playing too, but obviously there's one guy that's still not around. Um. No, uh, well, that's the whole point of the episode. Yeah, it is. I mean, nostalgia is one of those things that we just and and this week I I felt I have been feeling nostalgic. I don't know why, but I have been. I've been looking for surge energy drink. You know, I uh, I don't. I they came at back out with that toxic sludge a few years ago. I don't know if they still are making it or not. Um, but um. You know, it, 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 it's one of those things that, I mean, you, you draw on nostalgia because it's a comfort to you. It's And I preached on it this morning. And, uh, you know, I one of the things, I, I mean, and the reason why I mentioned TV, you know, growing up in the 90s, is because we had a lot of, like, people that, you know, it kind of steered us a little bit. You know, we had kind of a heyday, another golden age, quote-unquote, of TV dads. I mean, you know, you had, I, I had, a, you had a great dad. I have a great dad. You have a great dad. He's still with us. <clears throat> Sounds like he's, you know, trying different ways to figure out how not to behave some days, but. Yeah, he, uh, he tried to pass a car on the left that had its turn signal on turn left, and my mother has decided that, uh, we're going to have to talk. <laughs> oh, please allow me to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Golly. I'm not going to tell him nothing until uh, he's ready. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, but growing up, I mean, the one, Full House was, was the one that a lot of people always draw on and say, you know, that that's TV's dad and everything. And it was, but there were two, for me, that always kind of, they, they were always, and they still are a comfort to me. The first and foremost, Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Tim Allen, I've always loved. I, I, I mean, I mean, he, of course, he was a Disney dad. So, I mean, you've got. He was Tim Al. He was Tim Taylor. He was, um, you know, he played Scott Calvin, later to become the great Santa Claus. That's what cinched it for me. And you know, as I got older and I was able to go back and watch his stand-up comedy, which I'd kill to see him live. Um, you, you know, you kind of look and see. He had his way of doing things, but at the heart of it, he was always about his family. He was always hard on, you know, he wasn't hard on him, but he was always, 
he wanted to do the cool stuff. He wanted to be do the fun stuff. He wanted to be just that guy. And of course, you know, growing up around a farm and growing up with a dad who's a, a master machinist, you learn about mechanic about mechanics. You learn about turning wrenches and things very early on. And one of the the subplots of the show was they were always working on a hot rod, you know. Um, and of course, the first one, uh, the uh, the ones they worked on were Fords. And of course, as you and I are both, you married into a Ford family. I did. I was born into a Ford family. Um, my my grandmother, when she the last time she went to look for a new car, she actually looked at a Buick. And she said, if, I love the way this thing rides, but I got a feeling if I bought this, there's a little old man in heaven who will haunt me every single day because it doesn't have a blue oval in the center of the steering wheel. But, uh, <clears throat> so I mean, you know, it, it ticked a lot of boxes. And I mean, he had boys and he did guy stuff and everything. And my dad would do guy stuff. And, you know, it just, it struck a nerve with me a lot. And then on the opposite end of that, I the other great TV dad um, was, uh, this is going to kind of, this is a show, it was a big show, but it doesn't really, it didn't really have the staying power. I don't know why, but it just doesn't, was the great Dan Connor from the show. Dan Connor was from Roseanne. Exactly. Uh, played by the great John Goodman. Um Another, just another TV dad. I mean, he, he worked hard and it was, my mom loved, my mom, that was on my mom's show. She loved Roseanne when it was on. Um, and the reruns, she would watch them every day. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you just, you have these influences like these who, they, they teach you the, they show you the, um, the way to, again, be a decent human being, to do things but in kind of a real-world setting, in a, in a sense. You know, the Taylors, they were kind of upper-middle-class people. They had some money. You could tell that, you know? He had a TV show. He had a TV show, for goodness sakes. I mean, Dan Connor did not have a TV show. And there was a lot of times in the show it would talk about, you know, struggling to pay bills and keeping the lights on and losing jobs and stuff like that. And... It, it really hit home because my dad worked for, about the time I really started paying attention to stuff, my dad worked for a machine shop for 29 years. Two days before he reached his 29th year, they came in and said they were shutting the doors down. It was the first time he'd been, been, out, of, been out of a job in almost 30 years. And he went to another shop, worked there for another 10 years. They shut the doors down, or... Uh, Seven, he was only there for seven years. Shut the doors on it. Then he went to work for another shop. Worked there for five years. They pulled the plug on it, too. Um, never by his own uh, negligence or anything. It was just the companies literally were shutting down. Um, and, you know, that... You see that, then you see on, you know, then you see the same thing kind of happening to this family on TV. Yeah, it kind of strikes a chord with you. Now, obviously, there's a lot of, like, sub points. You know, there is 
Dad didn't like the show because it's you know he didn't like Roseanne. He thought she was a loudmouth um, word. I can't say here on this show, which yeah. he's not wrong. But you know there was also the aspect of like you know there was uh, talked about drug use and talked about um, you know the early days. Well, not early days, but kind of when the LGTB Q MIA uh, crowd um, was starting to gain some notoriety in in television, and uh, that really didn't sit. It just it was one of those things that mean you know leave it leave it where it is. This is TV, you know, and all this. Granted, this is also the guy who loves watching Andy Griffith, Gunsmoke, um, you know, all the all these things, but. I just have always kind of found the early, I always say the early episodes are the ones that I remember the most because those are the ones before it starts to, it's where they start kind of like scraping the barrel, starting to dig up for uh, story topics, you know. And then all of a sudden you've got like um, the Simpsons who have, uh, oh darn it, they have like uh Lady Gaga, come on and be a, a guest host. Um, Pretty underrated actress. Yeah. I've come around on Lady Gaga. Um, <clears throat> you know, I came out, I mean, she was always kind of weird, wore the dress of meat and all that stuff. And uh, now she's actually, uh, wasn't she just in, there was a movie that just came out. Yeah, sorry for well, yeah. No, there's one came she out. A bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's one that came out. I don't know, two three months ago. It was called The House of Gucci. I know it, it's not exactly a flick you and I will probably go see, um, but I mean, yeah, I think she's been nominated for like an Academy Award or something. I think, or you know, um, but uh, you know, the nostalgia aspect of of the influences that we have. I mean. There's a reason why we are the way we are. I, I mean, there, somebody, it's the old joke, somebody's got to be to blame for who we are. Right. You know, and of course, we always have the, uh, we always have the, you know, our mom, our dad, things like that, that were influences on us and that were everything. But you, you also have a lot of stuff that, like you say, in culture, that allows us to... Um, it basically molded who we are. I mean, you know, <clears throat> you always say you're a product of your own generation or you're a product of your raising. And that's that's true. I'm sorry that I tuned in and watched Tim the Toolman Taylor get shocked every episode or get hurt. Um, I feel like I've been talking for a while. Glenn, why don't you, why don't you take us off? We'll go through a copper... Piece of copper piping with a saw. Cut his thumb mm-hmm. off or something. They the uh, Simpsons. Um, you know, I just happened to think of this. The Simpsons did a bit where they kind of made fun of the popular television shows of the day, like NASA. It was a convoluted premise, but it was funny. NASA was doing research on what was good television because their ratings stunk. You know, on the NASA channel. And the first one is Al Bundy, 
Hmm. Of course, you can imagine how that went. Mm -hmm. And then Tim, the tool man, Taylor, and he's like, all right, I think I fixed the mower. And he puts it in drive and it backs up through the fence. He goes, oh, no, I killed Wilson. (laughs) Back to jail for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hey, he sniffed cocaine. What are you going to do? It's the 70s. I mean, come on now. But, um, no, my my influences growing up, you know, early on, my dad was Superman to me. He was strong. He was uh, loud. Mm -hmm. And he commanded your respect and and his presence meant something. Uh, He didn't let me get away with much. Um, I said a borderline, you wouldn't even think twice about it today, a borderline word on the bus coming home from a skating trip, roller skating, you know, field trip. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) it is on uh, George Carlin's list of banned words for TV. So I guess, you know, but wouldn't even bat an eye at it today. But... uh, he pulled me off that bus and he said, if you ever disrespect me or my name like that again, you and I are going to have a real problem. And that sounds crazy, folks. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my dad's big thing. He said, uh, I've worked hard to build that name. My dad did not inherit a tremendous name. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he said, I, you better not do anything to ruin that name. And that's kind of how I grew up. You you respected people. Absolutely, yeah. People respected you. Uh, my dad has not always been the easiest person to get along with. But people knew he was trustworthy. And people would call on him. And he's hilarious to this day. He's still funny. Uh, <laughs> it's a, sometimes it's more on accident now. Uh, I've heard a lot of hearing aid jokes since my dad's lost his hearing. Um, this weekend we were out to eat at Rachel's Highway Cafe in Alexandria. Mm. If you ever run by there, it's kind of at the split on Highway 9. And, uh, I said, Dad, do you get your new hearing aids? He said, yeah. I said, well, do they work fine? And he says, well, about 830. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Dad. Uh, but you never know, because sometimes he'll mess with the waitress. And, uh, oh, God. I took him to Hooters a couple years ago. Oh, man. And uh, he... <laughs> it was something to the effect of, he asked the waitress, he said, well, can I get those to go? And he was pointing, and she goes, what exactly are you wanting to go? And he says, you can put them in two boxes. She... <laughs> she he, and he was talking about the wings because oh they were two God. different flavors. <laughs> but he couldn't understand her. And he really embarrassed himself a little bit. <laughs> so, or she embarrassed herself. I'm not real sure how you want to look at it. So, but that was that was the big one. I still look at my life today and I'm like, how did I ever get this way? Mm-hmm. And it my dad. <clears throat> he, Absolutely, yeah. He gave a lot of leash until... He needed to pull it in, and when he needed to pull it in, he tied it off of that spot, and you could have that extra leash back when you earned it. I never uh, tested him too hard on that. You know, I I drank Diet Pepsi and hung out with friends playing Madden all night. You know, I was a real party hard. And, 
rebel. Weirdly went to class and did things like that. Man, so. you are a rebel, man. Square. Real square. Well, well, you know. Coming out of a concert one night and these two drunk dudes and this drunk chick were like, Wee! And I was like, oh, God. And they're like, what are you, some kind of square? I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. And uh, as, as I learned through a bad experience of bad axe throwing, sometimes when you're a square... You just don't fit in. And that's okay. I don't ever have to do it again. Hmm. Uh, Another big influence on my life was Grandpa Earl. Hmm. And uh, he is in that picture right behind you, that Polaroid with my beautiful grandmother. Um, Grandpa Earl was, and still remains, the funniest person I've ever known. Uh, He was drafted to the Marines in the 40s. Fought on either Iwo Jima, Okinawa, or both. Not, we never really cleared it up. Um, he did tell me he was not going back. So <laughs> there is that. He said, I don't want to see either one, uh, which I can understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just the kindest individual and just funny. Uh, he would tell super inappropriate jokes that uh, I would repeat to people and find out they were inappropriate. <laughs> I would go down there and stay with him different times. I would I would just walk down there all hours of the day. Never turned me away. Was never too busy. Um, really taught me how to care mm-hmm. for people. You know, he was my step grandfather. My mom's dad died in nineteen seventy two. I believe it's seventy two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also on the shelf over there. Um, Is that his class picture? I'm assuming that's class picture. He's Served in the HQ in occupied Germany because his handwriting was so beautiful. Oh, my. He was picked specifically to write correspondence out of Eisenhower's HQ. Now, I don't know that he ever met Eisenhower. I don't know how high up the food chain he was, but that's what I was told. He served in the HQ in occupied Germany. So, uh, never knew him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been told by people I remind them of him, which I'm very honored about. My Uncle Don's been in town, and people tell me I remind them a lot of him. I make a lot of sense when he's around. You know, for years I wondered, where do I fit in this thing? Um, But the the thing they had in common was they were two Swedish gentlemen who ever lived. And my grandmother would shove her foot so far up your behind if you got on her bad side. They just kind of fit, like peanut butter and jelly, you know. <laughs> and um, I never really got a lot of my grandmothers there. I have some cousins mm-hmm. that have that gear, but, uh, but I never really got that gear, the Bose gear, we called it. My grandmother was legitimate first-generation uh, child of a German immigrant, Harry Bose. Oh, that's a name for you right there. I mean... Good German name. Uh, didn't care for Nazis, moved here. So, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Who did, uh, though? <laughs> well, there were a lot of them back well, then. Well, back then, well, believe with that dog live for now. But, uh, yeah, my mother still has... And, and this... I haven't made up my mind how far I'm going to go with this. This may be the first time I, we, we say a swear on this show. Okay. Just because the joke doesn't work without saying okay, it. Okay, all right. Um... My mother still has the bread basket, the bread container holder, from my grandmother or grandfather's home. And 
No one got the joke except me and my brother for about 10 years. And he passed away in 2001. So I think grandma gave him, gave her the bread basket shortly after that. So we, we've had it for about 20 years still there. Yeah. Um, I can't can't make up my mind if I want to go here or not, but um, go I'm going to have no, to no, now. Go there. Go uh, there. So just know there's a word coming. However, it's in the Bible. And as Bart Simpson would say, if it's in the Bible, you can say it. Exactly. So, I don't think Leviticus is a swear, though, is it? Well, I can't say all those words. <laughs> not in one sitting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you can look up that clip, too. Have a good time with that Oh, one. yes. Bart Simpson, Bible swears. Um <laughs> On this bread basket, he wrote in permanent marker, um, it's it's supposed to say breads and assorted materials. That's what my grandmother wanted written on it. He wrote on it, beads and ass. <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> yes. And it is still there. I'll have to show it to you. I believe it's still there. I don't think mom ever got oh, rid of it. Because be when my brother oh. finally pointed it out to her, she laughed just like you did. <laughs> Well, because her her youngest brother, my Uncle Scott, that was his dad. My Uncle Scott was born in 69. That yeah. was his dad. Mm-hmm. So he was a deep part of who we were. And when people ask me sometimes, like, where do you... Because he would tell you jokes that some people, it would take them a while to get them. Yeah. And people tell me, they're like, your jokes just go down these strange paths and... Um, I've told jokes before where three people will laugh. There's a pause. This happened at the church in Middletown. I told a joke to the Shenandoah athletes because they would have a uh, dinner and like a fundraiser thing for all the athletic programs. Every team was allowed to come. And uh, I told a joke one time. Three guys laughed. Mm -hmm. And then there was some whispering. And then everybody laughed. (laughs) And uh, the joke was something around who who is Scott Widener anyway. It was Coach Shenandoah football, and it was a joke on Pat Echeverria, actually, okay. believe it or not. And um, there was like three guys laughed, and then, ah! then they all died. That's where I get that, Grandpa Earl. Um, he would just take you on a twisting, turning. There's, there's another one I won't tell here, but it involves a little boy and the revolvers getting uh, Sunday. At an ice cream shop, and um, he just, it was wines and turns, and then you'd hit a wall and you'd come back, and I mean, he'd tell this joke for five, ten minutes to get to the punchline, and he'd be like, how did you tell that whole, how did, like, I kind of pride myself, like I was telling you earlier, putting stank on my jokes. Yeah, absolutely, That's where, yeah. that's kind of where I get that. Uh, so, I mean, just, I, I'm overblessed with just the human beings that were put into my path, particularly on my mom's side. Grim. Well, we had a little break in action there, but we'll come back around. I don't not, not I don't want to try to be seamless here and try to pretend like we didn't take a, a little break there. Well, we had we had some issues, yeah. Not technical issues, diff technical yeah. difficulties. Yeah. So uh anywho, um that's where I kinda get the influence from, you know, the humor and, and mm-hmm. really deeply caring about but Grandpa Earl really deeply cared about people. I also forgot to mention, if you've ever wondered why um, I could take six seminary courses, work as a chaplain at the hospital, and carry a church while substitute teaching at the local schools, uh, 
that's my dad. I forgot to mention that, and I just want to bring up. He taught me my work ethic, and his work ethic is, one, never put off for tomorrow what you can do today, and two, never tell somebody you're going to do something and don't do it, and never promise it if you can't. So uh, that's where a lot of that comes from. My preaching influences, really, honestly, goodness, kind of go back to that Ron White, Gabriel Iglesias yeah. thing. It's timing. It's, you know, because I had some great teachers in seminary that I'll run through. You know, we, we don't want to be over here all night because this is probably a two or three-parter, to tell you the exactly, truth. Exactly, yeah. Uh, in fact, we might have to split it up, and I'll go back to familial influences, mm-hmm. and we'll come back around. But... Uh, you know, I've always felt like the people who taught me how to read the Bible and how to exegete content, which basically means look through the layers, pick principles out. Uh, that's something you might be picking up on here. Mm-hmm. Talk about going back to school, no, Mr. No, Mr. Matt. Don't, don't, we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. But, but um, I always mm-hmm. felt like I had good stuff. But early on, I found out, and I found out that I had a kind of a natural penchant for talking it wasn't surprising my dad's always been able to talk in front of people and uh, my dad's dad was always able to talk in front of people and grandpa earl with grandpa merrill so it made a lot of sense but the more i honed my craft and this is where i would send out the caution with this week's is don't be afraid to look into what works Ron White had to learn from Jeff Foxworthy timing, mm-hmm. punchlines, and his timing is immaculate. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You watch a Ron White special, he'll take <clears throat> you down the rabbit hole and he'll punch you right in the gut with a line where you're not even expecting mm-hmm. it. And he, there's a charisma, there's a presence, and... I'm not sure if I have a natural charisma or not, or if a lot of it's learned, but you, I watch myself, when I watch myself on video, there's definitely a presence there. And a lot of that comes from, you know, just being around people who are comfortable talking in front of people and honing the craft. You know, Gabriel Iglesias also has incredible timing and has a flow to the things he's saying. Um, I admire it. I can't do it because I'd blow my voice out, but I love guys like Chris Porter who elevate and really have a genuine rage with their comedy where he's just angry about stuff and he's yelling it or, you know, people who have that, that voice they go to that seems natural, but really is just learned. You know, it takes a lot of effort. My sermon this morning was about, uh, things that look easy that you think you could do. But they only seem easy because the people doing them have worked incredibly hard to make them look easy. NCAA tournament's going on right now. You ever tried to dribble through a double team? No. <coughs> Here's the short of it, folks. You can't. Yeah. You watch Steph Curry do it. You think I could do that? No, you can't. No, you can't. No. Both of those guys are six eight, who are guarding him. Steph himself, I think, is 6'3", 6'4". And he's worked on that for legitimately 30 years. I mean, nonstop. Um, And I get a kick out of people who think they can cook the stuff on Chopped. If I give you a bowl of rice, a cup of jelly beans, some fish you've never heard of, and black garlic, you really going to be able to whip me up a bunk cake? (laughs) 
The answer to that question is no. No, no you're not. Because those are, people don't realize, those aren't people off the street on Chopped or Grocery Games. Those are legitimate five-star chefs. Yeah, they've been working at it for a while. So, um, <clears throat> Antonio Lafonza whips up something amazing with these ingredients, or uh, my personal favorite, or Alex Garnicelli. Lauren gets very uncomfortable now when <laughs> Chef Alex is on TV because I've revealed she may very well be my celebrity crush. Oh! I'll tell you what, a woman that can cook like that, she's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you watch those, you think, I could do that. No, you can't. No, no. no, you can't. You have to work at it. And you want to make sure, you know, I've like I said, I've been over-blessed. With amazing people in my life who have influenced me to go in the right direction more often than not. And you soak it up. You learn. You practice. Absolutely. My mother sat at the table with me. I don't think I've told you this. She sat at the table with me for six semesters and quizzed me on Greek and Hebrew. That's how I learned was working with my mother. My mother doesn't speak Greek or Hebrew. But she learned with me. Really? You want to talk about being blessed by people? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She would sit there and just, she'd show me flashcards, and then she'd flip it over and look at it and be like, I don't know, and just keep going, because they were in Hebrew. Yeah. But on the back, I had English, so she could help me study, because she wanted to. She offered it. I didn't go and ask her. She said, you need help? I said, actually, yeah, could you? And she did. So, uh... Like I said, dad's side of the family, not super religious. I do have a cousin, uh, shout out, he'll probably never hear this, but shout out to Dylan Davis, who is also in ministry. Uh, props to him. Well done. We're the only two people my Uncle Tim, his dad, ever said he could actually sit through. So <laughs> I felt flattered. Uh, and uh, there's there's some religious folks there, but largely it ties back to, and I talk a lot about, you know, the uh, cloud of saints and going back through generations and considering how your faith got to you. Um, my Aunt Ruth, who's my mother's brother's older sister, I think older sister. <coughs> Sorry, cough on the microphone, that's fine. Uh, she was the one who really brought faith to the kids in my Grandpa Merrill's family and several around her. she was And she was a Wesleyan Pilgrim Holiness mm-hmm. gal. Oh. Uh, beautiful woman of faith. And beyond that, who knows how it got to her, how it got for, to that person. But you look back on those people and you got to be thankful for them because they endured being rejected, wasting their time potentially, to get that to the person who got that to you. Born on Saturday and church on Sunday took some work. Absolutely, yeah. Because my grandmother was Rosie the Riveter, my grandma Mary. She went to work in the factory. Grandpa Merrill, you know, came home and he had back issues, ended up in a wheelchair. She worked. She put a, she'd put a chew in and, and have a hangout at, the, at lunchtime. I mean... Well. She was she was a man's woman. My kind of gal right there, you know. <laughs> she would have adored you. <laughs> she really would have. She she thought I was weird. Had a couple cousins, so she wasn't sure about. She she would have liked you. She liked the good old boys. <laughs> um, 
But she she always thought I was too smart for my own good. She called me an old soul. Yeah. But uh, she well, was right for the most part. The but. world needs more of those, though, Glenn. I've, I've come to realize. Well, I've realized the world needed more Grandma Marys. I never understood what she was so mad about until I hit 35, and now I kind of get it. <laughs> <laughs> the world's changing. All the stuff I liked isn't there anymore, and I don't like it. It's, yeah. Um, anyway. Um you know, you say that, not not to... <clears throat> go ahead, go ahead. <clears throat> it, it, when you say that, I mean, and it, it really... When I was a kid, of course, I, I'm going to get on tangent here for a minute. So, I... As I mentioned, the, the, some of the influences I had early on, obviously were mom and dad, and like I said, and then, of course, you had the TV dads that I mentioned. Um... We grew up, as I said, we grew. I grew up on a farm out in the country. We had satellite TV for a while. And then, I can ne- I'll never forget, the bill got to $90 a month. And Dad said, we're not paying that anymore for just television. So we took it away. You know, we did away with it. So we, we would go and, like, you know, this is back when Walmart just had started, like, the $5 movie bin and all this. Mm-hmm. So you'd go and buy movies. And that's what... You know, during the summer, that's what we did. We just sit there and we would watch. You know, you'd get up, you'd watch a movie or something. You'd go out and, uh, well, after feeding, and then um, come in, have breakfast, watch a little something, and then have lunch, go out and play or watch something if it was raining, whatever. And <clears throat> there's a line. There's a there's a, a whole speech. You remember the movie Shawshank Redemption? I do. Um, when Brooks gets out, he's released from prison, and he's writing this letter, dear fellas, and he talks about, you know, he literally had been uh, he went into jail in nineteen uh two thousand nineteen oh five. And uh, he gets out in, I think it's like the 50s, if I remember correctly. Um, so, I mean, 40, 50 years literally had passed, 40 years had passed. And he said, the world went and got itself in a big darn hurry. And uh, and I, I agree. Um, Woo, you're popular. I guess I am. Um, it's a fine. Sorry, it did. Yeah, some <clears throat> somebody apparently watched my sermon la- uh, today, and they're uh, poking a hole in uh, a spot I made. But <clears throat> but uh, he said, you know, the line is the world went and got itself in a big darn hurry, and of course we see how Brooks um, how his tale ends. And, again, I mean, we, we think about these people that we get nostalgic for, that we want to, that were influences on us. And the thing about it is, Glenn, you and I are very much, I mean, we're, I mean, heck, we're best friends. So, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, there's a reason why. And it's because you and I share a lot of the same viewpoints, share a lot of things that we enjoy and think, but... For the most, we were raised the same way. 
We were raised to be good to people, be kind to people, do things for people in need. And I think that's part of the reason why we get so darn mad around, you know, we don't really get mad, we get agitated. <clears throat> but, um, we, but, I mean, and that's the reason why we kind of, we're, and I mean, let me preface this. When we're on this show, and we talk about, we get, you know, agitated about things, whatever, complain about the world nowadays, darn kids, get off my yard, um, but um, it's just because the world changes at such a rapid pace now that we can't keep we can't keep up. We can't. I mean, I as I've mentioned, I have a TikTok account. I post TikToks on there occasionally. Um, and. <clears throat> The thing about and the only reason I got on it was because, I mean, I, somebody had sent me a few things that were funny, and I'm like, well, I might as well hop on, and then I started making them. Like, you know, it, it was kind of, it was a thing to kind of get me out of my comfort zone. I got on it during the pandemic, and it was kind of trying to get over that camera shyness and everything, trying to strain, because, I mean, I didn't mind giving sermons or anything, but it was very much... Um, and, I, you know, it was just kind of a way to, really, to pass time, but also to kind of get used to it, to get, to create a stage presence as such. Um, to kind of hone it a little bit more, because I had a rough idea. But all these, these influences that we had, we're going to keep diving into this, and I agree with you. I think this does need to be a two, if not three-parter, because, um, you know, we... We have to get to to get into this kind of line of work. You've got a lot of you've got a lot of different um, forces on the outside of you, of us that have got us to this point, and it's very very incredible that we. For me, it's an it's amazing that I'm doing this in here because. Not a lot of people, you know, graduate high school and then keep, you know, just go right into working and everything, don't go to college. They don't end up where I'm at. Some do, but not a lot of them. But, <clears throat> excuse me, if you can't tell, I've got a little bit of a uh, throat thing going on. There's been some sickness passing around the house. And I do believe my... Uh, my wife had a had some respiratory stuff or whatever, and uh, of course she being my wife, I just, um, you know, I still got to kiss her every once in a while. I think that's part of the agreement that we made about six years ago on my birthday. Uh, I got married on my birthday. For those of you who don't know, um, so there you go. But uh, but no, no, I mean I. I guess the whole thing is, I mean, we, I hope that when you, when you're listening to this, that when you're, you, you hear about the influences that we have, you know, it kind of makes you dwell on, well, who's influencing me? Who has influenced me? And was it good? Was it bad? Um, you know, fill in the blank. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll get off my tangent on that, 
Glenn, why don't you? Yeah. Well, I feel, like I said, I think we're going to split this up in a couple parts with the, because we're going through, you know, our family, cultural influences. I've got a bunch of school ministry uh, influences, uh, church influences I could go through, because church was kind of like family. So uh, I believe, with your permission, um, we'll pick this one up, put it down. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, it's so been, it's been an interesting episode. It has been an interesting episode with about a half hour, forty five minute uh, technical issue. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, well, that was fun. So, regardless, uh, we're praying for you. We hope that you do the same for us, and uh, may God uh, shine upon you in the coming week. Second week of uh, spring break. It's only half over. Yeah, still got some time. So. Uh, Pray for me. I'm going to go back to work for at least a couple weeks at Eastern Hancock here to finish out the year. Fun stuff. Uh, so I'll be doing some work there. and Mr. Matt will as well. Uh, wondering about the future. Uh, found out some more things about the Methodist split coming up that um, are very uncomfortable. But um, God, God's always seen me through. So Friends, I will encourage you. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a member of the Methodist denomination or not. Please join with me. I, I'm a non-denominational pastor. I'm a Christian pastor. Um, no, nobody, nothing, no letters or nothing behind my name. But I hope that you'll join me and all of us as we pray for that for that denomination going through all that. Um, you know it. We know that you know things happen and thing and. People get mad and things like that, but just uh, just keep them in your in your thoughts and your prayers because more than likely in your town there's probably a Methodist church in there, and they're facing the same issues that every other church that has UMC right next to it. So I just I wholeheartedly encourage you to do that. So with all that being said, good night, Lindy and Kessid. Good morning, Vladivostok where it's approximately 1 a.m., and Vladimir Putin still sucks. Absolutely. Good night, everybody. Once again, we thank you for listening. Hopefully you found our episode on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Anchor. Also, look for us on our Facebook page, uh, Two Guys Who Happen to Be Pastors, where we post all our episodes along with some fun other content. Next week, please join us in as we talk, continue on with our conversation about the nostalgia of our church. Thank you very much. Have a good evening, folks.